Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today we're here with Ron Artis II. Ron Artis II was raised in Hawaii, the eldest son of 11 children. His musical influences include R&B, Delta Blues and Gospel, Soul, and Rock and Roll. He has a mastery of the guitar and piano and many other instruments, and has played with many artists including Mick Fleetwood, Jack Johnson, Booker T. Jones, G. Love, Jake Shimbukuro, and others, often inviting them on stage for spontaneous improvisational moments that are unforgettable. His 2018 debut album, Soul Street, with his band The Truth, has received wide critical praise. He writes deeply personal songs about universal subjects of life, family, joy and loss, and makes a deeply personal connection with his audience in every performance. And so you have a lot of personal songs, songs yeah. about your father, songs about your wife, songs mm-hmm. about your kids mm-hmm. on your album. You have two albums out uh, or three. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple, um, I have three full studio albums. And then um, I believe I have two live albums and an EP out and available for people to find. So let's start with, um, I guess, let's, you want to start with the most recent one? Sure. Love is Love? That yeah. Album? Cool. Um, let's start with the song. Let's start with Broken. That's the opening title track for, for Love is Love. Now, when I started this song, I was sort of sitting on the porch. We were somewhere in the States, somewhere. And I'm just playing 
that first half of the course, we're all a bit broken. Let your light shine through the cracks. Now, that line didn't just pop into my head. It was really about me trying to understand the emotional struggle of trying to get through life, trying to live as an example for folks and and trying to respect the life and example that others are putting forth and realizing that it's near impossible for us to be that perfect image of what we think we should be. Like a lot of folks are spending time chasing a career or chasing music. Let's, let's keep focus on music. It's like they'll take time thinking if I rehearse and practice every day, I can sound like this guy or this girl and only to get 30 plus years down the road and realize I'm, I may emulate that person or that sound, but that's never going to be who I am. You're really truly free when you allow yourself to truly 100% be yourself. Being that person, having, being at peace with that person of who you are, that's how you really truly can thrive in your life and living. And you look close enough at anyone, you're going to find fault. You're going to find issues. That's part of life, how we deal with our issues. That phrase is just meant to in really simple form, talk about a really complicated subject that while we all know none of us are that perfect image of anything, we all are human beings, we all are individuals, we all are um, perfectly ourselves. And if you try to treat people with respect, with love, with kindness, with empathy, and you try to have some kind of integrity in your life, you're going to realize that little light that's in you, that's in everybody who's born on this planet is begging to come out and shine and affect someone in a positive way. So we're all a bit broken, but let your light shine through the cracks. And that's where that phrase came from. And the uh, other half of that is striving for perfect, but you're already there. My wife, Yulia, wrote that line. <laughs> She um, heard me struggling with the first half and I'm trying to figure it out. And she just walked up and was like, you're striving for perfect, but you're already there. And it was great for us to talk about that because we had very different lifestyle backgrounds growing up, myself and my wife. And she had gone the whole gamut through a career, through, through school, through studying, through so many different things. And she realized that at the end of all that, of all the things people would celebrate you for or suggest you should be, to be at the height of that and realize that's not who you are. That's not how you define someone by what they can do, by what they've accomplished. That's not who you are. Unfortunately, a lot of folks go through their whole life striving for something that would make them, quote, perfect in this world or perfect in the eyes of others, where when you were conceived, when you were born into this world, you were perfectly you. And as kids, I think we inst instinctively know that. And then we start growing up and start to listen more to society or listen to more what makes us celebrated or even more so today, 
I mean, life is so fast online. We can see who in the world is celebrated for doing what crazy thing. And we think I'll be accepted and celebrated and lifted up if I can emulate that. Maybe that's what I should go after. So we try to, with those two phrases, we're all a bit broken, let your light shine through the cracks. You're striving for perfect, but you're already there. Now the next two lines, which were in the verse, first one is about a guy, second one's about a girl. And while I started to shy away from that because in today we're generally ambiguous or like no one wants to mention gender labels anymore. Right. I still think that's important. I'm not supporting any kind of oppression towards any social group. You're not judging. No. But I do think that I believe that we have different makeups from the get-go and how we choose to do whatever we do. That's, that's personal and that's fine. And I think everyone should be supported in their walk of life. But guys tend to make decisions based on different things. And so as we talk about this perspective of this song, this, this guy has a, has a perspective of, I want to accomplish this, or I want to get this done. You know, guys sometimes come from this conquering point of view. Alpha male. Yeah, some do and some don't, but this, this particular one we're talking in this story, it's about, it's like I'm talking to that guy saying, we're all going to fall sometimes. That's not where life ends. You know, unfortunately, I and some close friends of me have lost very close friends to suicide because they have this picture and idea of themselves. And when they're not able to upkeep that, they think the blowback from that is too huge. It's too big. They, they can't phantom stomaching it, can't phantom facing that. And they think the only way, not the easy way, they think the only way out is to end the whole thing. <laughs> And it just, it, it, it breaks the heart, man. It rips everything out. And it's like, it's just like, I wish, I wish someone, anyone could tell that person in that, that moment, this isn't where, this isn't where your story or anything ends. If anything, it's where your next chapter begins. So please see it that way. It's like, you're going to go down sometimes. But the sun's going to rise again. Open your heart and let love in. Like, I know a lot of friends have been heartbroken. And then they think the only way to go forward is never let that happen again. Build a wall around your heart. You know, they're still, you know, go into romance or break other people's hearts. But think protecting their heart, they'll be fine the rest of their life. And missing out on some of the most wonderful experiences that life can offer if we're afraid to get hurt, afraid to love, we're essentially afraid to live. When I, when I realized I was falling in love with my wife, I never for one second wanted to ever give thought to defending myself. It's like, I love her. I can feel her love towards me. I want 110% be there for her, whatever that means. And I'm grateful that she felt the same way towards me. And our life has been full of ups, downs, everything in between, everything unforeseeable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, learning that, you know, you make plans and 
plans fall apart. God laughs at people who make plans. Oh, make yeah, plans. I, I think so. <laughs> um, and um, that song, Broken, and then it goes to the, the other verses. Um, Girl, you'll always stick out. Now, this is something I really believe. When I When I say the word girl or woman or female, I'm very careful never to say it, especially in this day and age, in any demeaning way. Because, I mean, that's, that's something that I've got three daughters and that's something that women have had to deal with for far too long. I mean, I long for the day when a female artist can be celebrated for her art and craft alone and in no way be a sexual object or have to do sexual appeal in her art form. I really long for that day. I mean, it's just, I think it's honestly just been disrespectful over so many years that that's how we see our women in the world. But um, I wanted to really focus on this phrase and this song of saying, girl, you'll always stick out. Sometimes not the way you'd like. Now, some, some people go through life thinking they're invisible. Like they could easily die today and no one would notice because they're not a star. They're not a public figure. They're not head of their class. They're not celebrating in their family, let alone town. So they're thinking, you know, if I, I die right now, nobody's going to show up for my funeral. You know, if I die tomorrow, it's not going to be in the paper. You know what I'm saying? Feel alone. You can really feel alone or feel worse than alone. You can feel insignificant. And just thinking like, there's how many trillions of people on this planet? They're not going to miss little old me. So with this phrase, I'm trying to say so much in such a little space, saying, girl, you always stick out, sometimes not the way you'd like. Then the next phrase is something like, the world will try to lead you on and shred your dreams at night. Now, when I say the world, it could be society, it could be your neighbors, it could be your family, it could be anyone who has all these suggestions for you, how you should be, how you should live, how you could be successful, how you could find love, how you could not find love, how you could have a career, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, they're going to try to lead you on and shred your dreams at night. Shredding your dreams at night is like, it's basically the idea that society has for a female or for a woman dress this way, carry yourself this way, be agreeable, be beautiful, let someone have their way with you and then toss you aside like you don't matter. And that could be emotionally, that could be intimately, that could be in any of those things. Or it could be like show up to work in full makeup with your hair all done just so you're pleasant to be around. When should that ever factor into your life, your work, your, your worth? These are really just made up goals and ideals for someone's life that have been taken too seriously for too long. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today. And view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards.
So who's broken in the song? All of us. All of us. All of us are broken. All of us are perfectly broken. And that's what makes us unique in our lives. Man, if, if we all were the same and we all were the, the perfect image of what we thought we should be, it'd be one boring place. It's the unpredictability of life that just makes it so artful. A big part of life is to accept that we're all broken. Yeah, we're all broken, perfectly broken. So it's like, that's an interesting way to say it. We're all broken, but we're all perfect. I know. It's a broken phrase. It's an oxymoron, <laughs> right? It's a yeah, it is. Contradiction. It is. Of sorts. It is. It is. Because it's um, learning by living and just testing all the things I think I know and think I understand. And it's it's beautiful because the more folks you meet, the more folks you take time to just sit and chat with, the less you understand. We all can be stuck in our own realities. We really can. We can all be stuck in our own realities and thinking that that's the way the world works. That's the way minds are made up. That's the way decisions are made. Because that's the way I make my decisions. That's the way I live my life. And it's only truly when you can really get along with someone who has a totally different philosophy from you that you can totally start to grasp the beautiful complexity of life. It can be someone who just outright disagrees with your whole life entirely. <laughs> all met them. But sit down and uh, have a cup of tea or coffee or whatever it is you like to sip on and, and just find the, find the common ground in both of your lives. And those are the common things that everyone has to deal with. So we tell are. me about the music in the song. So the music. How did that come together? Did you... Write the music at the same time, first or after the words? I think I was just strumming the chords. And I really liked the way the melody was kind of living in there. And then the lyrics began to come. The last thing we added to the song was the, um, the slide, the, the steel guitar. And that was a good friend of mine, Dan Leibowitz from ALO. And... I had met him a couple of times, but I finally got to really meet him and kind of hang out at High Sierra Music Festival last year, 2019. And we ended up playing this this gospel set early in Sunday morning, and I was doing a different song. I was doing Carry Me Along, and he was playing the slide. on, And I was like, wow, that's what's missing from the song Broken. That's all I thought. So that's what's missing. I mean, I'd had... I'd had it mixed and mastered already. And I'm like, the song needs this. So I went over and I asked him after the set if he would consider lending his fingers and tone and, and just life to the song. And he said, yeah, sure, send it over to me. I'd love to hear it. And I think I waited about a week and then he sent me the, um, the audio of his recording. It was like, you know, I, I overplayed the whole song just so you could choose what parts to keep and what parts to give, take away. And I was like, okay. And then I, put it on, I hit play, and I listened to it. I said, man, I'm not taking one piece out of this. The <laughs> you whole, left the whole thing in, I left as the whole is. Thing in. It was so <laughs> perfect. And it's like... I, the, it this, wasn't broken. It was no, perfectly it was, broken. Exactly. Perfectly it broken. perfect. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, though, man. It's like unpredictable. 
ability of life. Like, that's the other thing. We overthink songwriting too much. I think when we approach it in its purity in the moment, it just happens. But then we start thinking, all right, what are the rules of songwriting? What are they? And if, depending on who you ask, there are literally thousands of rules for songwriting. All of which should be broken. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's your form of storytelling. That's what songwriting is. You can write it with one chord. You can write it with a thousand chords. You can write it however you want to do it. Songwriting is just, art in general, is just, it's just a pure form of communication. You can use any language. You can use any, anything. It just depends on what you want to say. And um, I'm grateful how this one came together. And it's just, it's one of the most, it's one of the slowest songs I think I've ever recorded on an album. You certainly can play fast. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and why did you go slow on this one? Well, it's kind of a reflection of the whole album. So I had just done Soul Street with my band. It was really funky, really groovy, more rock up tempo. And literally everyone thought I was going to follow that album with another soul album. Honestly, it's just not what I was hearing. The whole year I was hearing really relaxed acoustic guitar flugelhorns and strings and i was like i have to stay honest to what i hear i can't pretend to hear something else so that's yeah that's how that came along it's just did you use flugelhorns or strings on your album i did okay yeah. on which song uh dance with me okay anonymity and to dad as well as to dad reprise You said you'd stay Where did you go? So much around has changed So much you need to know I blamed you for so much inside me is torn so much I wish we shared To Dad is one of my favorite songs because my podcast was started um, after I had a conversation with my dad and it was the last conversation I had with him and then he passed away and so I've been using this process of interviewing songwriters to, to understand the emotion of, of that. And your song to dad is directly about your relationship yeah. with your father, who's no longer here. Yeah. It, um, and so it's, it's it just struck a chord with me, which is what really is why I'm yeah. doing this, actually. Yeah, it's... The crazy thing in life, man, we, you never know when you're having that last conversation with someone. You never, you never really know. I mean, that day was a day, my last day with my dad was a day that kind of encompassed everything. 
We had an argument. We had laughs. We did recordings. We did watched a movie. We ate popcorn. We, I don't know, we joked. We played games. We did everything that day. And then, you know, you wake up the next morning and, and, um, my mom was really, really just in pain and confused and because he, he just didn't wake up. And yeah, that was December 8th, 2010, 2 a.m. in the morning, my dad passed away. Tell me about your dad. So my dad was really just honestly a ball of energy, chaos, emotion, love, passion, and honesty. Just, I mean, I can't think of a more memorable person in my life. My dad was adopted when he was about two or three, raised by Mr. Norman Artis. And he was adopted by a Norman Artis who was an airman. My dad just gravitated towards art and music and people his whole life. From what I gather from, this is just my perspective of my dad. But um, if you met my dad and you were in need of a friend or somebody to listen or somebody just to talk to, he was that guy. If you were out to take advantage of life or anyone in business or everything, my dad was totally not your guy. My dad was equally expressive about being full of love and loving people, equally expressive of putting people in their place <laughs> or, <laughs> or being disagreeable to things he didn't believe in. Anyone who, you know, there's 11 kids in my family. My parents were married for 30 years. My dad was um, diagnosed with cardiomyopathy and given, I think, about six months to live when he had, had recently just met my mom. As much as my dad is a part of my story, my mother is too. Without this early decision that she did to my dad, none of us 11 kids would be here. His doctor had given him six months to live, and my mom said, I'll say the clean version. My mom really cursed, but <laughs> she, she's like, the heck you do, man. Like, you're going to outlive this doctor. You're going to quit smoking, quit drinking, get rid of all the friends who are just living off of you. Get out of this lifestyle where people want something from you or just want to be around you because of what they can get or what you possibly can do. You're going to, your circle of friends are going to consist of people who really care about Ronnie. My dad's name was Ron, but my mom called him Ronnie. It's like, your friends are going to be people who know Ronnie or want to get to know Ronnie. It's not going to be all of this fast life, people taking this and wanting that, or this. And uh, that added that added thirty years to his life. <laughs> she saved his life in some ways. Yeah, man, it was it was major. And um, in the end, it was it was a heart attack that that took him home. And you were the first uh, boy, I guess, because you're Ron Artiste, the second, not a junior. I was wondering about that. Yeah, I'm the I'm the second. Um, I'm also so the second born of my father's second marriage. Okay, so I have an older sister, Stefani from the marriage with me and all 10 of my siblings. And before my dad married my mother, Victoria, he was also, he was married once before to his first wife, Linda. And I have two half siblings from the marriage, Tamu Artis and Sakia Artis. And I'll give you the spelling of the names. 
wonderful people, wonderful families. So tell me how all that boils into the song. All this comes together with the whole lifestyle. It's a whole life that affected me and my relationship with my dad. Before I lost my dad, I had spoken to people who had lost a parent or a significant other that was really close to them. And I said all the perfect wrong things. And I, I could have never known. I had never lost anyone physically close to me. It was all like, call me if I can do anything. If, if you need anything, call me. You know, all those things. I'm here for you. And um, when you lose someone, like I lost my dad, we spent every waking day doing something together. Every day, man, we were inseparable. The first thing I thought was just like, my whole world is cracked in half. My whole life is cracked in half. Like, there's this person that just sure is going to always be there. And then one day they're just, they're not. And it's beyond your control. You can't choose for them to come back. No one can. And so as we go through the lyrics of this song, it really highlights all the struggles within the 10 years of my dad had been gone already. He passed in 2010. And I wrote this song in about almost nine years. And I think it opens up with, um, you said you'd stay. Why did you go? My dad was always like, you know, I'm here. If you need anything, you know, talk to me. Come, you know, your dad's here. He was from, um, his biological father was always traveling, always doing things and never married his mom. And so it was like, there was, my dad was like, I'm not going to be that kind of father. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to always be here. Now, my dad honestly did mention sometimes to us, us children that there'll be a day when I'm not here. And I hope to prepare you for that day. But um, I opened the song anyway, saying, you said you'd, you said you'd stay. Why did you go? The next phrase is they, they sort of go into, um, you said you'd stay. Why did you go? So much has changed that you need to know. I'm one of 11 kids. We were so tight growing up. We never had personal space. Anything. We did everything together. <laughs> we did everything together. And it was this so much fun. This is in Hawaii? In Hawaii. Maui? Uh, Oahu. Oahu. Yeah. And we, on the north shore of Oahu. And um, we did everything together. After my dad passed away, um, I think I was about 23. And so much did change. So much. I mean, my dad was the, um, was basically the flag bearer of our family. While my mother tried to fill both roles, I mean, you have very, you have 11 very strong-willed children. <laughs> uh, my parents were very adamant about raising us to think for ourselves. The challenge, <laughs> the challenge, any fact that was put towards us or anything anyone had to say, you know, make up your own mind. Make up your own mind, form your own opinion. Um, it's nothing wrong with being agreeable, but in the end, no one's going to be able to take your place in, in, in the fire, basically, in, as you go through life. Like I, you're not going to take responsibility for a decision that I've made, even if you've given me the advice. So it's make up your own mind, live your life. And having uh, 11 strong-willed children 
and um, all of a sudden being the sole parent is a lot. I, I, I can't begin to understand all the things my mom had to think of, um, wrestle with and But all of a sudden here you are, six boys, five girls, stubborn as heck, <laughs> stubborn as heck. While we all, um, we had a family band and we had all these different projects we do together as a family. And there was just one point where it was all chiefs and no Indians, uh, to put it simply. And that's a hard band. Yeah, it's a hard band. Um, I don't know. It could be a good band name, all chiefs. <laughs> no Indians. A lot of things began to break. We tried to hold on to those things. Looking back now, I can see all those things were necessary to change. You know, you you grow, you plant seeds in the in the soil, and they've got to shatter their shell to grow. And everyone needs their space. Now, I mean, years later, we all talk, love, and, and respect each other. We always talked, but now it's like we all have so much more understanding about and for each other that we have space to go and do things and grow. It's like it's like we're all in this this safe space to develop and then also we all just explode and it's time to grow and go out and do things and and so it's like so much has changed that you need to know because I'm still struggling and wrestling with man I'm married now I have kids I never thought I'd get married I told my my father and my grandmother that I didn't think I'd ever get married, let alone get in a relationship. I'm just going to focus on my music and that's it. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll remain celibate my whole life. <laughs> and uh, my uh, father and my grandmother had two different uh, takes on that. My dad was like, oh, that's fine. You know, you can say whatever you want. When, when love hits you, you really don't have a choice. And that's what my dad had to say about it. He was like, I know how it was with me and your mom. And I just know that... Um, the way you think and the way you are, you're, you're not going to see it coming. I just hope she's strong enough to <laughs> to crack through that ice. But um, he's like, when when love hits, there's there's no denying it. There's no cerebral approach to it, if you will. This, and that's exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> and that's in the song. That's in some other song. Yeah, that's in a few of the other songs we're going to get to. The other thing, the next phrase on that was, um, and this was a hard one. So much I blamed you for. So much inside me is torn. I loved my dad, and he was very strong-minded, strong will, like most me and all my siblings are. And so, going through life, you're just like, "Oh man, if you had done this that way, wouldn't it make life now a little bit easier or a little bit clearer? Had you, if you had done that, maybe you should have done it this way, or, or." Why, why are you gone? You know, it's, it's hard. If you haven't lost someone really close to you, it's hard to understand the emotion of being upset that that person's gone. You know, you think about the pain, you think about the joy of all the memories you had, but you can't help but get really mad sometimes. Like, man, I really, really miss you. And there's no one to be mad at but you. It's a weird thing to explain, but when you really, really miss someone, it's an emotion you have to deal with. And for me, it was all these things all at once. And the next phrase, it gets really personal. It's just, there's so much I wish we'd shared. 
I mean, I had my first daughter was born. The first time going shopping for my wife after we got married. Saying my vows at my wedding. All those things. But things that, like, I've gone through so much of my life with you. This is what I, I really wish I could share these things that I'll never experience again with you. He wasn't there for those things. He wasn't but there. That's he passed on. Maybe already. like a postcard to him somewhere. Yeah. That it's like, you're singing to him. Yeah. It's, this is, this song is like, Writing a letter to a loved one who's passed on. There's a lot of things you wish you could say or wish you could share. And for me, it took nearly 10 years. It was... Um, to write the song? No, to get to the space to write it. Huh. I wrote it all in a span of two days. Okay. But it, it literally it took all that took all that time to get here. Um, I actually wrote the song in my wife and kids. We took time off last um, Christmas. End of um, 2018, we went to um, we went to New Zealand to unplug, and I didn't know it was going to be unplugging that much. I didn't know cell phones wouldn't work. It's usually when you're in a space unplanned like that, where you have no connection to the distracting elements, that you're forced to face what's inside. And I didn't realize, but I'd kind of been pushing that down pushing all these emotions down, pushing all that pain down. And, and it was time, it was basically time to face them and accept them. And that's how this song came. Sitting in my room or sitting in a camper van or something, I was just strumming those opening notes in the song. You can just hear it's kind of... And it's just kind of singing through that. And it took me two days because I just had to stop in the middle of it and think... Am I really ready to face this? Is this a space I'm really ready to go to? It was honestly, it was a lot, man. I mean, hmm. it's, it's, it's a heavy emotion. It's a lot. And so that, that next phrase that's really personal is, so much I wish we shared. It's just me returning back to the phrases I mentioned earlier and just saying it plainly. There's so much I wish we shared. But deep down, I know I'm scared that I'll forget your voice. Now, that phrase, you can't know that until you've lost someone. Right. Someone you're around all the time, you hear their voice, they're talking to you, you're talking to them all the time. But something happens, years after them being gone, you still remember everything they said, everything they did, a lot. But then you start to remember it in your own voice. Hmm. Your tone, your tone, speaking voice, your, your expression. And you don't hear their voice anymore or hmm. as much anymore. And it, it was a really shocking and scary emo emotion all at once too, because it's like, I don't want to forget my dad. I don't think that I ever could, but it's like, it's an emotion that you come across and you think, Whoa, am I, am I losing him? Am I, really lo am I really absolutely losing him now that I'm not remembering the tone of his voice? And that just came out when I was writing it. It just really came out on that section. And then it goes into the next part. Why does the world have to say, to go say goodbye? And why does a life fade away? 
it's just a question posed to the listener. It's like, if you have an answer, tell me. I mean... Help me out. Yeah, help me out here. As a performer, help me out. <laughs> As a person, you know, because it's like, I have my ideas. I have my beliefs on this subject, but it doesn't always make it easier. Knowledge doesn't always make things easier than knowing. Though when we don't know, we really think it does. You know, it's always thinking like, if I just had this, things would be easier. If I just knew more, sometimes figuring it out and learning it makes it a little bit harder. Again, that's, that's, that's another part of life. You know, I have to say that I think your dad and mom did a great job bringing you up. Um, I had sent you an email saying I wanted to interview you. You'd never met me. I walked up to you in a club and you shook my hand and said, thank you for coming. And my dad told me that there were four words that'll get you the furthest in life and they're free and they're thank you, please, and you're welcome. And mm. it's just about being a gracious, grateful, respectful person to people everywhere you go. You didn't even know who I was and you demonstrated that graciousness and you demonstrate that on stage so effectively. One of the things I was thinking about as I watched you perform that night, and you still hadn't really met me other than thanking me for coming, um, was your gratitude to the audience, your 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 grace on stage, and um, your aloha, mahalo, Hawaiian attitude. And yet I was listening to your music and I found it so universal. I didn't find it Hawaiian <laughs> per se. What part of your music is Hawaiian? Is there a part of your music in Hawaiian or is it so, is it global? Like, how do you think of that? <laughs> I think all of it is. Um, if you go back and look at traditional Hawaiian music, there's so many forms of expressing what's really most popular in Hawaii is the slide steel. And I mean, people think that reggae is like Hawaiian is Hawaii, that's, it's really not. Reggae's Caribbean is Jamaican, right. right? What's mostly Hawaiian, where I think Hawaii is mostly affected by music is in all the things you just said. If you go and you meet someone who's local to Hawaii, local meaning born there, raised there, lived there most of their life, or spend enough time there to get to know Hawaii, is that gracious respect and appreciation for other people the land, the life, everything around you. It's just being grateful and just being thankful. That's one of the things that brought my parents to the islands. Um, it was about 1990, 1991, when we officially moved there. I think it was in 89 or 90 when my parents did their first trip there. It was a work trip. My dad was going to do something for art. And he said he got there with my mom. They had a meeting in the morning. They went up to the beach, put their feet in the water, stepped out. And they said, oh, there's no way. <laughs> We're not going back to where we <laughs> came from. <laughs> yeah. And my dad said one thing that stuck out to him, he was walking down Waikiki. And mind you, this was back early 90s, late 80s. It's a totally different Waikiki now. There's this really tall Polynesian guy there. And he, if you get to know the different cultures, Tongan, Samoan. And a lot of times you'll see them, one of the guys walking and they have a really strong facial expressions. 
you'll think, is he upset with me? Or, you know, until you get to know him or whatever. But I was watching him walk. We said, but what really struck him was this guy's walking, really strong personality. And on his shoulders, like his three-year-old daughter eating an ice cream. And he went from that really focused look to looking up at his daughter and just totally melted and just smiling, <laughs> looking at her. And goes back to like, this is why I live, to take care of my kids. And my dad was like, this is where we belong. This is where we're going to raise our kids. Before that, they were living in L.A. And they were like, there's nothing like this in L.A. No, no, they're very different. And, and um, I'm really grateful. My parents left this whole pursuit of music business and, and, and everything behind and came to Hawaii to raise a family. Hmm. How that affected my childhood and my life is beyond words. I mean, I honestly can tell you I would have a totally different life if I hadn't grown up in Hawaii. And now when I get to an audience or somewhere, and a lot of it was teaching of my parents as well, but when I, when I thank the audience for, for coming out, I love to acknowledge you could be anywhere you'd like with your life and your time and your energy. And you choose to be here to spend 45 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours with us in this place and listen to what I have to offer and what I believe might be important or helpful. And I'm grateful that they just give me a moment. And that's why I say thank you. You often end your concerts with a thank you song. Yeah. And you did it the first show I saw you at, and you got the audience to sing the chorus for the you know, for first time they're hearing the song, essentially, for most of them, I'm sure. Yeah. I found that that was pretty stunning to me, you know, that Yeah, the song um we love to end with is called Before You Go. Before you go We want you to know that we love you as our own. It seems like so many days that we live, all of this pain, all this confusion will get you down. But I say, no, no, no. I wrote this song for a friend of ours. Um, her name's Paula Fuga. An amazing artist, singer-songwriter. So you amazing. wrote this for her? We wrote it for her. Okay. Um, how I wrote it for her was, we were doing a show in Hawaii, my brother Thunderstorm and I. We used to do a lot of duo work. And we were playing our first concert in the Doris Duke Theater, which is part of the Honolulu Arts Museum. And Paula Fuga did us the honor of agreeing to open the show for us, to support us. Now, if you know Paula, man, she's amazing. I was like, it should have been the other way around, <laughs> honestly. But she decided to do us the honors and open for us that evening. And we were really floored by this. And so I was like, we have to do a song together. So I went through her catalog of music, went through mine, and I just... I couldn't find the perfect the song that was a perfect fit for us to do because she was going to sing her songs, we were going to sing. And then at the end, I thought we should do something together. So I was scouring the internet, looking for songs from her, and I came across her TED Talk. 
I highly recommend checking it out. I will. And it put a light on so many things about her life, her upbringing, so many things she had dealt with. While I'm watching the TED Talk, I picked up my guitar and I started strumming. And that's how the song was born. She's gone through so many things. And she's come out the other side, singing her heart out, giving so much love selflessly at every performance I've ever seen her at. I have so much respect for Paula. And I wrote this song, and then I called her up and I told her, we gotta come over to your house right now. I gotta show you this song if you're home. I wanna show you the song I just wrote. I think we should sing it together. And so we, we drove up. She, was, she lived like seven houses up from where we lived. And so I went over, went inside, and I started singing the song, and all she did was cry the whole time. <laughs> so you knew you had a good song. I think if you make the audience cry, it's a good song. That's one of my criteria. When I cry at a, at a show, it's like, yeah, I love crying listening to music. I mean, uh, it's, it's, but it's, I didn't know it was going to mean that much to her. That's the thing. I did not know it was going to mean that much to her. And it was going to resonate that hard with her. And then she learned the song. We went to the concert. And we played it at the end. And again, all she did was cry the whole time. <laughs> and um, Is it uh, easy to sing while you're crying? Um, or do you have to like do something differently? Uh, I, I, have, you, have you ever cried while you're singing a song? A little bit, yeah. It's, a, it's an overwhelming feeling. I guess this is when I did the song about my dad, the first time I performed it. I really was trying to remember the words, trying to remember to breathe, trying to remember to sing. But at the same time, I didn't want to bridle those emotions because it's like crying is a very healing process. If you still, if somebody listening, if you're still one of those people to allow yourself to cry, it's a very healing process. That song since then has done so many things in our lives. The very next intense time that I sung that song since that time with Paula was, I got a message and a call from someone who found me on Facebook and they wanted me to fly out to sing it for a memorial for their nephew and their mother, who had, their nephew and their grandmother who had passed away in the same week. Oh, wow. From totally different causes. And they wanted me to just, they wanted to fly me out to California to the memorial just to sing that song. And how did they find it? And they, they found you on Facebook? Or? They found, they found the video. We had a video on YouTube huh. and a video on Facebook. Huh. And, and they it just really thought, touched them, huh? They said, we need that song for our family at this moment. We need it. One of them, the nephew had been killed and the grandmother had died from age and, and, and health concerns, but naturally and it was it was a lot of heavy emotions that day for me so tell me about the song the lyrics in the song it goes i've learned through all of my life when my hands are empty that's when we're free now we try to gain so much and it's like okay the simplest way i can do is i have to pose a question what are, you, what are we living for? Not what you do for a living. Not what you like doing. What are you living for? A lot of folks will work to get that promotion, work to get that spot, work to get the money in the bank. 
to, you know, inherently give them freedom to do whatever they want. What is that whatever you want? What is that? What do you really want to do? If you, if no one would watch you for the rest of your life, what would you do? A lot of people don't know the answer to that. They think they do. They'll be like, I'll eat all the chocolate I can have. I'll go, every, <laughs> I'll go to every party. I'll drink all night. I'll do this. I'll listen to all the music I want in the world. I'll do all this stuff. But they don't really know. Yeah. They don't even think about it, really. They, yeah. they think they think about it, but they, they don't actually prioritize what yeah. they're thinking when about. When do we give ourselves time to think about that? Yeah. You know, it's so much having to get to the next thing so the first thing doesn't knock us out. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a chase through life to finally you're at the end and you retire and you're like, oh, I can do whatever I want now. Oh, maybe I physically can't do those things now. It's like, live your life is the gift that it is. So it's like, at the beginning of that song, I've learned through my life that when my hands are empty, that's when I'm free. When I've got no money in the bank, I've got nothing that people want, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm socially worthless, you know, in the system. There's nothing anybody can get from me, nothing anybody wants. I'm free. What do I want to do with my life? And then the second half, I've seen that when we're small, that's when we're at our best. Now, that's about humility. It's about being humble. It's about being grateful and gracious, not just to people who might be able to give you an opportunity, to everyone. You never, we, a blessing and curse to us is no one can see what's beneath our surface. I could look at you and think like, hey, you're doing great. You got your coffee this morning. Everything's going on. I could never know what you had to deal with yesterday or what you know that you have to deal with tomorrow or what's going on in your day since you're driving here. I can never know unless you told me. And quite too often, we take our assumption as truth. I'll assume what I know about you. I'll assume what I know about some kind of political figure or some kind of popular artist or, or actor or actress, um, quite too often someone who has very little would think that person has, oh, that rich star has everything they could ever want. You know, they're the happiest person in the world. Next week that, that actor commits suicide. And they're like, that doesn't fit into my program about that person. That, that doesn't fit to that. They had everything. What, what? It's like, no, that's still a person that has emotions that has a life, that has a soul, that has struggles. The second we don't see each other as that anymore, that's when we're failing, not only ourselves, but humanity. That's, that's the big problem. So when I say when we're small, that's when we're at our best. So I usually ask the audience when they sing the chorus that's coming up, when I sing that with me, some folks would be nervous about it and they sing it pretty soft and, so I ask them, look at that person next to you. Do you think they deserve to feel loved and know they're loved? If so, sing it out with that feeling. And then they sing it out twice, if not three times as loud. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. Because we don't think about the power that we have in our, inside of us. We don't think about the struggle what that person's dealing with because we perceive what we see on the outside as them, again, seeing our assumption as truth. So what that song is, basically what I'm trying to say is, 
we're all here together. We're all part of one family. And if we love, respect, and treat each other that way, it's a beautiful life. <laughs> it's a beautiful life, man. You know, and then going into the next phrase, before you go, I want you to know that we love you as our own. And that's the part that really gets people a lot because it's not the kind of love of, I like the way you look today. You look sweet or you look this or there's an opportunity there or let, let's get drinks or hang it. It's, it's not that. And that's not love, by the way. That's attraction. Th that's attraction. We have, there's, there's tons of words in the dictionary to, and the source to describe those different variables of emotions, but it's not love. Love is a lot deeper than that. And love, I mean, if we could easily define the depths of love, we have to be pretty wise. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but I describe love through an emotion. I describe it as to say that I love you is I want to share my, all these emotions in my life with you. I want to feel your pains. I want to feel your joy. I want to share my life with you. I want to, I want to feel your life. I want to see you thrive. But if you fall down, I want to cry with you and I want to lift you up. I want to see you healthy. I want to see you enjoying life. I want, to, I want the best for you that kind of love. And that's why the phrase is phrased the way it is. Before you go, I want you to know that we love you as our own, not as a separate entity, not as someone else see, hey, good to see you, goodbye. No, you're part of our family, part of our tribe, part of our life, part of our heart. You're here. We love you. It's personal. And that's the message that I hope to get along with this song as well as reminding people, you're not alone. You're not expendable. You're not any of these labels that someone can easily just throw at you. Don't let those stick. Well, I walked out of your show after singing along with the chorus, with the crowd, feeling like I was part of the Ron Artis crowd, a tribe, a family of well, thanks for you know, it. loving a, fans. Thanks. Really, It was really special. Thanks. But I want everybody to know, man, love is a lot bigger than me. And yeah. um, that's something I really, that really got um, solidified in losing my dad. And someone can be that impactful on your life and offering something. If we really truly offer it selfless, the credit doesn't come back to us. That should be a goal in life. I mean with no disrespect intended, there's a lot of folks who go out and do a lot of social things, giving, supporting, but the whole time we know they're doing it because they've hired a whole film crew to film them going and giving. Hmm. In the end, is that really giving or is it giving to get? Yeah. So, is it true altruism or right, is it just so, a selfish motivation? Right. So I'm when I try to, do these things and, and give and sing these songs. I try to let folks know I'm just one little piece of this world. I'm just one piece of light, one piece of love. You are too. Anything you see me do and offer and give, you can give just as much, if not more. But that's what I try to do with that song. So I want to talk about your guitar work, which is just virtuoso. It's stunning. I was 
I, I had never seen you play live like that. Your technique is so expansive and broad, and uh, and I'm stunned at the the sounds you get out of that instrument. And the instrument looks like almost like a ukulele sized thing in your massive hands. <laughs> it's like. Uh, I was thinking of a Romare Bearden painting. If you know who that artist is, he 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 painted hands and musicians uh, like Dizzy Gillespie and and uh, Coltrane and and uh, uh, others. Uh, he was a Columbia art professor, but hands were really important important in his artwork. He's considered you know a, a top painter from the twentieth century. Tell me about like your guitar work, like. Where does it come from? It's like, <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's like a lot of players, but it is your own Ron sound. Man, I love listening to everybody. I started playing piano when I was really, 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 really little. And then kind of onto other instruments. But on my 13th, I think it was my 13th birthday, um, I got my first electric guitar. Before then, I got to play my dad's a little bit. He had a um, 20th anniversary Fender Strat, like a really nice one. And uh, he let me play it a little bit, but then uh, he'd have to put it up naturally. Yeah, so keep it away from you. <laughs> yeah. And then um, at 13, from birthday, they went to a garage sale. And there was this really, I think it was a Yamaha RGX 10, something like that. It had one hamburger pickup and it was white and extended 24 fret scale. Of course, that stuff doesn't mean anybody who's not a guitar player. But for me, I was geeking out on it. And I was so happy. And um, from that day on, man, it's just, I want to say I got stung with the bug for huh. guitar. I just... The one song where it caught me was Searching for Answers. Yeah. song man i included quite a few different techniques in that song quite notably is the intro if you haven't seen the video or seen the live performance a lot of folks were asking me what kind of synthesizer i was using but that's actually the guitar at the beginning i'm just swelling the volume with um with a, a long delay thing on there so you don't hear any attack it just swells up play my chord bring the volume up and let it swell and i don't know how i learned that Maybe it was from listening to 
Jeff Beck or someone. Jeff Beck has this amazing thing where he'll do in solos where you don't hear the attack because he'll play with the volume knob. So I, I kind of want to credit it to him and, and a few other artists that I heard just doing different volume fun. So at the beginning, I was like, oh, why not use that on a chord? And then I was, I was just blown away with the, um, with the results. I was like, oh, that's going to be cool. I honestly felt like I was listening to Beck and Clapton and John Luke Ponty and and uh, uh, Django Reinhardt and Whoa. like I'm like I I honestly was like, oh my god! I had and then when you brought Chris Lager up and you guys had never played before, and you did this jam together, it was spellbinding. I was like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Why don't more people know about Ron Artis? And and his craftsmanship. Uh, so anyway, uh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, I I had quite a few lessons and and teachers growing up. Um, primarily was my dad. I mean, he played some guitar, but he really was. My dad was an interface teacher, so he um, he asked me at an early age and would ask me various times as I grew up if I still wanted him to teach me because he's like, I'm going to be the most honest teacher that I can be. If I love it and I think you're doing great, I'm going to jump up, kiss you, and tell you how great it is. If I think it's crap, I'm going to tell you it's crap. <laughs> and he was he would be that dry about it. And he's like, you know, I can... One of the famous phrases my dad would always say to me is, I can hear you thinking. The goal is not to be up there performing thinking, thinking about the next note, thinking about what you want to say or thinking about what you want to try out. No, the practice room's for that. When you're performing, you should be so involved in the song and your craft that you're not thinking about anything. If anything, you're thinking about the folks who are out there listening and what you can offer to them and what you can give them. How can you make their lives better just by a little bit? What can you do? The other teacher I had was um, J.P. Smoke Train. He's a blues teacher and guitar player, great guitar player in Hawaii very traditionalist blues player. So he gave me the same guitar lesson for almost two years. <laughs> well, you have a lot of that buddy guy, you know, standard blues chops foundationally in your music, but you take it to another place. It's, yeah, well, it's great having teachers that are very, very rigid and very good, but very, very strict. Because um, me being a young, you know, kind of, competitive, outspoken person as I was. And <laughs> I needed that. I needed to be excused off stage when I thought I was doing good and politely being asked to step off the stage so they could continue the concert. And uh, that was a that was a tough pill to swallow when you're like 16 and thinking you're, thinking you're shredding or something. And it's like, <laughs> what did I do wrong? What did I do? Did I miss a note? And it was like... No, you didn't miss a note. You just played all of them. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of notes in your, some of your songs. Yeah. Searching for Answers is one of them. Let's talk yes. about that song. So Let's Searching look. for Answers, as, um, as I get past the, the intro and everything, and, and quite naturally later in there, there's a, there's a solo section, which is really fun to play. And I try to incorporate a lot of them. Um, uh, that one incorporates from like the rockier blues till towards the end of it goes more towards rock of just trying to, even adds a little bit of finger tapping towards the end of the solo and then clicking on 
uh, out of my distortion pedal and going back. I think the funniest thing that I always have to deal with whenever I sing that song is I'm, I'm coming out of that, um, I forget how many bars it is, but I'm holding one note vocally. Yes. For a while. And then right at the end of that, I switch from playing chords to going to the solo. So what a lot of folks aren't aware of is that I have to take two deep breaths right after that, especially up here in high altitude. I don't know how high up we are. like 7,000 feet at Park City. Yeah, yeah, so right after that, I have to force two deep breaths to not get it, like a little headache. Because it's like, so it's it's a fun little exercise that I'm like, okay, hit the long note, now breathe, breathe. At the same time, step on the pedal and, and start like, trying to rock out and have have a good time it's like there's a lot of the work techniques yeah it's a workout <laughs> but there's a lot of cool techniques that we got to work into that so it's a lot of fun let's talk about the the lyrics on, on yeah Searcher for I, answers, i'm glad is, you brought a printout because <laughs> it's actually the only one i could find online where did you find this I, I searched everywhere. It's the only one that's out there. That's, we got to get, we got to fix did. that. That's cool. Somebody wrote it out. So we got to fix Genius that. Lyrics. Yeah, it's the only one on Genius Lyrics. And uh, that is cool. And I don't know if they got it right. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to cool. fix that with your fans. There's a bunch okay. of websites where we can put your music. And I was going to call your manager up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, tomorrow and, and having and, to and get you out. No, no, no. <laughs> but you know, it's helpful for fans like myself and and our listeners yeah. on the podcast to you know. I mean, I've never. It's it's funny. I've never had um, I've never had anybody um, write out the lyrics, so it's kind of cool. You don't even have them written out. You just have them in your I've, head. I've got a couple <laughs> of them written out, and like in one of my songbooks, I it's funny. I write out lyrics. Mostly I write out my lyrics after I've recorded the song. Because <laughs> you want to make sure what you said? Or... Uh, well, I have to, I, you know. Do you I, do it I differently? Don't know what I've, yeah, I, I sometimes always do the, the verses different when I'm playing. I, I always adapt it to where I am in life at that moment. Yeah, yeah. The, the chorus was just stay the same because that's the identity of the song. But the verses, I just believe that. It's where I'm saying something. If you want to hear the version exact from the record, that's why I recorded it. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a couple of times I've been at a live show and, and the audience has known the song better than I did. <laughs> and uh, they've requested Correcting you it. on your lyrics. Yeah, they requested a song and they're all singing along and then everybody stops. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I didn't remember that section. <laughs> so yeah, this one, uh, to see what this says. This is, must be the album version or the um, live at Hurley Studios version. So yeah, how can I be feels like this whole world is tearing at me, trying to change who I am to who they wanted me to be. Now, I choose to live my life. I'm Christian and I choose to live my life with a certain set of morals of respecting others, loving others, and just trying to be an example for what I'm trying to find. And it's funny, I've been at a lot of shows at festivals where there's tons of explicit lyrics and all this stuff and you know, um, what, what's the word I want to say of, um, amoral messages. Well, messages towards treating females the wrong way or how they sure. see them objectifying yes. females and, and different people. And I was just like, wow, you know, then I'll go up and I'll sing songs like carry me along or, and different ones. And, and I get an overall really positive response, but then I'll be at my merch table or something and someone will have something smart to say about, you know, my beliefs. And um, 
I never, I never lash out at anyone or anything. I, I think, thank them for their perspective. And some folks, they, they leave it at that. And some folks, they go a little further and have, they want to challenge me on some factual things. And most of the time, they'll bring up the obvious, right? They'll bring up the issues that um, have happened in Catholic church or in traditional churches. And I'm like, I'm not going to argue that there's people who want to take advantage of a good thing. And I frown on that. If you find a fraudulent scientist, does that debunk all of science? No. So when, if you really want to dig into what Christianity is, just study the life of Christ. Don't study somebody who wants to fraudulently take advantage of people who are trying to find their way towards the truth. And when I talk about the intro of this song, feel like the word's tearing at me. The other thing is if you profess to stand by a certain set of morals, there are some folks who want to break you just to prove it's not doable. Oh, here's this person who thinks they're perfect, which I don't think I am. Here's this person who thinks they're perfect. If you prove them to be fake or hypocrite or breaking their own morals or rules, then it doesn't exist. They can't be real. Then thus, I, there, there's nothing that I should be worried about my life choices on. And I'm like, I'm not here to make anybody feel insecure. I'm not living my life to make you feel like you're living your life wrong. And that's a big um, misconception about being a Christian is some folks came up to me thinking, you know, being a Christian means you think you're better than someone. I said, no, being a Christian means that I know I'm not better than anyone. That's what it means to me. And going through my life with this, this opening phrase is like, how can it be, feel like this whole world is tearing at me, trying to change who I am to who they basically want me to be? And most of the phrase is like, you should be more liberal. You know, you should, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not Republican or Democrat. I'm not, I don't believe in getting in, that I need to get in any, either of those two deep wells of whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, you find dirt on both sides. I don't care who you are. Yes. So I'm like, I believe in being a good person, being of service to society, humanity, and people. And when I get this thing of people, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do any substances, never have done any of them. And um, some folks are just like, oh man, that's a party pooper or whatever. And I was like, you can do whatever you'd like with your life. You don't have to try to make me break on what I believe is a healthy way of life for you to feel more comfortable. So a lot of those things are all in that little phrase in the beginning. Um, hmm. And I'm searching for answers because I realized through my life, everybody and every culture has something to offer. Again, like we were talking about our perceptions or our assumptions on someone can be what we take as, as the truth or our reality. And I've learned that the more that I stop to listen and hear someone out, the more you learn about a perspective, more you learn about life, the more you learn about creating a harmony between different cultures and different lifestyles. And so I'm searching for answers of how to, how to help the world be a healthier place, a more supportive place to everyone, a more, just more beautiful and longstanding place. Just I'm searching for all those things as I go through my life. And I'm not afraid to say that I'm searching. So as we go through this song, I say, I can't lie 
this is what I'm living for. I'm searching for answers. I believe the best I could ever be with my life is a servant. I've met people who strongly disagree with me. They're like, you know, you can be a king, you can be this, you can be great, you can, you can be a star. And I'm like, no, the greatest I can ever be is of service to other people in a good way, helping you through your life, doing something that makes your life a little easier. And as I'm going through that, I, I'm searching for answers every day. Let's go to this next phrase here. I'm glad you got it printed out. <laughs> every day I rise, I feel deep inside of my soul. Boys, your choices are, oh, they put a question mark. They don't know what word I said there. <laughs> this is what you really want. You've got to live your life around because everybody's got something they're after. So it sounds like basically everyone is chasing after something. It's like the phrase we said earlier. Do we know what we're living for? Or are we just valuing what we do for a living versus what we are living for? And asking these questions to people is like in this song, I feel like so many songs try to offer solutions, try to offer the answers, try to offer their opinion. And this one, I'm really willingly want to let everybody know I'm searching, I'm living my life. I'm not going to profess to be a no, know-all solution. You know, that's, that's why I pray. That's why I sit down and have coffee with somebody. I sit down and I listen or I, I go to concerts or I go to, to speeches or listen. It's just, we're all trying to find a way to get through this life and enjoy it and love and respect and enjoy each other. So next phrase here, but it seems crazy. You got to dig a little deeper because you got a life to live. Sing it up. Yeah. So I'm saying that's when you yeah. go. And you know what? Let me talk about your vocal range here. Because <laughs> that was the second thing that stunned me is your vocal range, your vocal stylings. I Again, I was thinking, oh, he's like Otis Redding or Jackie Wilson or or uh, you know, James Brown on this song, maybe. And then I was like, well, what white guy is he like? He, oh, he's like a little bit like Robert Palmer. And like, but he's his own. Wow. Cool. He's his own voice. He's his own Ron Artis. And that combined with the own guitar, I was like, this guy is a unique thing that I have, this unique combination of talent that I have not seen before. And so talk to me about yes. your vocal and what do you think about that when you're singing this song and other songs? Well, I mean... I, I love all the singers you mentioned. I love I love any singer that I can really feel their heart behind their voice. Like I recommend looking up Charles Aznavour. Okay, um, that's a new one for me. Yeah, I love I love Sting, Pavarotti, Bob Marley. Um, it just everybody, Rita Franklin, oh man, Vanessa Bell Armstrong. It just it goes on and on. They're all influences on you. Yeah, everyone. Everyone who you can feel that indescribable feeling behind their voice. They're not just good singers. They're singers that are singing with every bit of themselves. Singers that sing out in a way like, in a personal way. And a thing like, this matters to me what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And a funny bit of information about myself. I didn't sing till I was 22. Huh. Not even in the shower. Um, <laughs> Growing up, I hummed. I hummed stuff. That's um, interesting. I guess. I guess I probably. I don't know. Sang some stuff when I was young, but no, I was twenty-two, and just playing instruments. And my parents came in one day, very, very focused at me, and they were like, 
Ron, we believe that God told us you should sing. <laughs> I uh, a calling, a message. I <laughs> did almost. I was about ready to run out of there. Yeah, I was like, that's too much pressure. You 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 can't just come telling me that, man. I I can't sing worth anything. I realized there were three things in the way of becoming a singer. One, I flat out didn't believe I could sing. Two, I believe I'd never be able to sing like my favorite singers. I mean, like, come on. Three, I couldn't think of one lead singer ever able to hold on to their morals, no matter what they were. There's no successful singer I've ever seen that was able to hold on to their morals through the span of their career. Hmm. And those three things really solidified to, to me that, you know, I'd never be a singer. I'd never even think about being a singer. I just, what I loved about music was, to me, it was, it was, it's an own world. It's like when I go into a melody, playing it on piano or guitar, just inside of a song, when I'm just practicing or just gone or with my eyes closed, this world out here ceases to exist. I'm literally, I'm gone. I'm, my whole world is made up with whatever everyone's playing around me, whatever is happening, the musical vibe, playing, the notes, the rhythm, everything. That's what I see. That's what I feel. That's what I can touch. That's what's all around me. And this world is like, I love going there. And now I'm going to open up my mouth and sing and invite everybody into that world. It was, it was shattering. It was intimidating. It was... It was petrifying. <laughs> it was, I was literally, honestly, scared. One, and I didn't realize till I started trying to learn to sing, was if you're playing piano or guitar or something in a band and somebody doesn't like where you're playing, oh, they don't like the notes, okay, it's fine. You don't like the guitar, I go practice, whatever. If you're singing, somebody doesn't like it, they don't like you. <laughs> you're out front. You're, yeah, the, you're it, the front it, man. It was, it, was, the... it was a lot to understand. It's like if they don't like this, your voice, you're not gonna go change guitars. You're not gonna go change voices. This is the one you've got. So it was like two years of a lot of lessons, a lot of singing that really kind of formed me as a singer and got me on track to go and study and just sing all the time. When we talk about vocal range, I think in technical sense, I'm a tenor. If I warm up well, I'm able to sing lower and I'm able to use a like a, Head voice or falsetto, yeah, almost different it's a things. Fake to kind of falsetto, head, you know, yeah, I mean, nose voice, yeah. There's some falsetto singers that just wow, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. So I'm able to go a little higher than my range, go a little lower than my range, but um, it's quite a wide range. I was really kind of thanks, like um, yeah, I, I just impressed, frankly, thanks. you know, it's like thanks, whoa, yeah. I, Not only he's got a guitar, but he's got this voice. <laughs> it's yeah, I, I, I just love music, man, and I just. I just try to find a way to express myself that I think would be best for the song or best for the, the space. And I just, I just keep trying. I keep trying to study and I just want to be a lifelong student of music, if you will. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Bada ba ba ba. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. 